Welcome to Demond Does the Six Questions, where the same six questions can tell a unique story. I am your host, Demond, father of two, husband of one, and leader of this here Demondcast. Oh man, I'm so excited for you guys today because this is one of those. What do they call them? Um, uh, tag on it. The um, this is one of those bucket list interviews because my guest is one of the leading authorities on Afro retroism, such as Sword and Soul and Steampunk with an F. He is the author of over 20 novels and game books, including a couple of my favorites: Moses, The Chronicles of Harriet Tubman, books one and two, as part of the Fight Card series, Fists of Africa. And he has a story that is in the upcoming anthology, Slay, Stories of the Vampire Noir. I bring to you Balogun Ojetade. I think I messed that up. <laughs> no, you got it. Yes. Yeah, I was right. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you again. Thank you so much for coming to chat with me today. This is, Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. I guess we'll just get started with this. What's the name of your story in Slay? What is the name of my story in Slay? <laughs> I have to remember because I'm writing. I'm writing so many, um, so many different anthologies and stuff like that. And a lot of times I have to turn stuff down because I just don't have. So I just turned in a story to Milton Davis yesterday for his upcoming cyberpunk anthology it's shadows of violence that's my story for slay shadows shadows of violence shadows of violence okay one thing i really like Mm -hmm. about your books i know you're a teacher of indigenous african martial arts and that really shows in your books you're the only author that i can think of that writes hand-to-hand action in books that i can actually imagine it almost blow by blow happening on on the screen and uh, that's something i just really enjoy about your work how else does oh, how else does your training influence your work? Well, one thing about in, in indigenous African martial arts, everything is your way. So we don't have any forms that will encapsulate how you're supposed to move because there, there's no way a five foot tall, hundred ten pound woman can move the same way as me. I'm six one, two hundred pounds. When she punches or when she throws an elbow, it's going to be different from my delivery, right? We're just we're two different people. And then our personalities come into play, how we like to move and what feels good to us when we express ourselves in combat or in life, period, right? So everything we do is I throw an elbow my way, you throw it your way. You don't throw it the way. When I write, it's the same thing. I write what I write. So when people say these are the tropes of science fantasy or what have you, right? I'm I'm never going to write the same way that somebody else writes. I'm not going to use them as a gauge for is my work good. I can write the best Balogun O.J. Tade story. Val John Jeffers can write the best Val John Jeffers story. I cannot write a Val John Jeffers story. And as long as we remember that, then we're not, you know, competing with anybody else. We're not looking at somebody else's success and jealous or I wish I'd 
did what they did or wrote like them. We just make our stories, you know, because we're all individuals. And so we're all going to create a certain way. That part of the indigenous arts has influenced me the most in the way, in the way I write, write my stories. That's what people always say, you know, my stories are, you could can, can tell one of my stories and they're wild. I'm doing me. It makes a lot of sense. It's very simple and it makes yeah. perfect sense. It's easily uh, escaped sometimes when we try to make things too hard. I am good at that. <laughs> or I used to be. <laughs> All right. Are you ready to answer the six questions? Absolutely. Question number one. When did you know you wanted to be a writer? I was about three years old. So I started reading when I was two. My sisters uh, really used me as an experiment. Can we teach a toddler to read? Right. So they gave me comic books. Uh, they started with Beetle Bailey, something simple. They had already taught me how to sound out letters. So I'm sounding out the words. At first they would sit with me, listen, okay, this is how you sound out that word. And some words I just couldn't, you know, figure out. And then they would help me out. And I, I wouldn't recognize what some of the words were, a lot of the words really. And so they would define the word and they would make me repeat the definition of that word over and over. After a short while, I was able to read. Read the comics without them being in the room. I still would have to ask them some of the words. I moved from, probably after about six months, I moved from Beatles to Thor and Fantastic Four, Batman. The next year, I moved on to you know, picture books. I wanted to craft stories like I was reading in the comic books and in the picture books. And then I would sit with my mother and watch Get Smart and watch the Wild Wild West television series, which was her favorite. I said, I'm going to write stories like the Wild Wild West. And when I write it, I'm going to have somebody that looks like me or my mother as the hero. And that's what led me on my journey to write. So I really wrote my first story by the time I was four, I started writing these little short comic books. And they always had a black protagonist. I wrote my first nonfiction book called African Martial Arts Discovering the World Within. I wrote that in 2008. And then in 2010, I decided, and I'd written hundreds of short stories. My major in college at first was finance when I was at Howard. And then when I transferred to Columbia College, which was the School of the Arts in Chicago, my major was filmed with a concentration in screenwriting. So I was writing every day short stories. So I wrote hundreds of short stories. When I finally decided to do a novel, I wrote what I felt was like the wild, wild west. And I wrote it with one of my idols, Harriet Tubman, somebody who looks like me or my mother, right? That's how my writing journey started. But yeah, I knew since I was, two, three years old that I was going to be a writer and I want to write stories and books. Okay, I got a question. Is this true that you were published in a Writer's Digest at 10? 
Okay. Yeah, okay. I, 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 I didn't even put that in my bio. I don't know how you got that information, but uh, yeah, I actually published a book when I was 10. It was a, a, a writing contest, a national writing contest. I won the, the contest. I went to a school for the gifted called Decatur Classical. Started as Green Classical. I think it was Green Classical and I actually wrote the book. And it won the contest. You know, it's a big hullabaloo over it. And that book is still, once Green became the uh, Decatur Classical, they put the book in the glass. It's still in the glass to this day. And, you know, I'm 52 now, so it's been in that thing for 42 years. So it's still there. It was my first book, yeah. And what was, yeah. It, what was the title of that again? I don't remember the title of that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've, written so, you've written so many since then, I guess it would they would all kind of jumble together after a while. No, that, that's, that's cool, because honestly, I've not really forgotten I did it, but, you know, that was in the way back in my mind. Question number two. What do you wish you had known when you first started out? I wish I had known how to draw. I always tell my wife and my children, I have eight children, by the way. Uh, all of mine are, are grown except one. Uh, my youngest, she's 11. I always tell them, that I, if I knew how to draw, we would be living in a mansion somewhere right now. I'd be rich because I would have created me comic books. It's the one thing, and still wish I knew how to do uh, as far as a skill, as far as knowledge. I wish I knew African traditions the way I do now when I first started out because I would have also been able to give a depth to my writing that I couldn't do at first. Question number three. What is your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant? Okay, now, my hometown is Chicago, but I've been living here for in Atlanta 21 years. It was 21 years in March. In Chicago, it used to be my favorite go-to was ordering two things, pizza from Uno's. You know, Chicago is the home of the stuffed pizza. So I would get stuffed pizza from Uno's, and it would always be pineapple and shrimp stuffed pizza. And then my other favorite there was actually popcorn. It was caramel and cheese popcorn from Garrett's Popcorn. Uh, Here in Atlanta, my favorite thing is actually well from an Indian restaurant uh, Sag Paneer from Masti restaurant Sag Paneer there you know I, I, I love it I eat fish ever so often but that's the only type of meat if you will that I eat you know I eat vegetarian food vegan food so that's my go to Question number four. What are you curious about? I'm curious about the physics of movement. So as a lifelong martial artist, you know, you get things that 
you're into things that you need to learn. I've, I've been doing this a long time, 48 years. So right now, basic technique and things of that nature, I'm not curious about. I love, but my curiosity is the, the physics of things, the physics of movement why a person moves this way and uh, what's the most effective way to move, not just in martial arts, but period. And also the cultures of things. We sit, we dress, we think based on culture. When I meet people or when I see certain things happening, I want to look at the culture of things. What's the culture of not just a person from the U.S., but from Atlanta, not just Atlanta, but from the west side of Atlanta, particularly black people or different people of color from these different places in the world. That's my biggest curiosity. Question number five. Is there anything I should have asked but didn't. You know, it's a great interview. We have covered quite a bit. I just, you know, would like people to know, you know, they can always contact me through social media at Baba Balogun on uh, Instagram or at African Martial Arts or African MA on Instagram for my school. If you type in Balaguno J Tade, on Facebook, I'm the only one, I think, that's going to come up. If you put it in Google, I, I, I know I'm the first one that's going to come up. So you can always find me on social media. You can go to my uh, website also, chroniclesofharriet.com, where I discuss Afrofuturism, Afro-Retroism, and Black Speculative Fiction. So I have a lot of articles on there, you know, things about my work and the works of others on chroniclesofharriet.com. Did you really leave Howard because of women? <laughs> yes, I did. I was on scholarship, you know, full scholarship. I couldn't afford to screw that up. And at Howard, it was 13 women to one man. And I had gotten determined to get all my 13 and I hate to say it like that women are property but that's what I was thinking back then you know that that nothing they were property but hey shoot I was such a flirt there everybody knew who I was from freshman to senior so it was I was engaging with a lot of sisters on campus and off campus and I knew I was going to get myself in trouble training has always allowed me to look at the weaknesses in self and, and be honest about it so that's why I left Howard, yes. And I transferred to Columbia because I'm from Chicago, and so I was able to stay at home, be more grounded at home with my mother. But, shoot, I ended up having a child a year after I went home. So it didn't work too well. <laughs> but I kept my scholarship until I got in trouble at Columbia for inciting a riot. Uh, what? So... <laughs> Wait, you, you got yeah, in trouble at Columbia uh, for inciting a riot? Yeah, absolutely. So, 
at Columbia, the head of the writing department, and I and I'll say his name. This is because I mean this is on record. It really doesn't. Well, I won't say his name. I won't give him any press. Anyway, the chairman of the writing department at Columbia loved my work. Okay, I wrote a story called "The Nose" based on a Russian story. I mean, called "The Thing" based on a Russian story called "The Nose." Now. In the nose, this guy's nose, it dislodges from him, and they have to find his nose. You know, it's a lot of antics that, that go with it. So, I, you know, it's funny. I liked it. It's by Nikolai Gogol, because you want to read the story. It was written like 1836, I think. So this St. Petersburg official, his nose leaves his face, develops a life of his own. So in the thing, this, Pimp gets his comeuppance and his member leaves and gets his body and gets a life of his own. So he's running around the city trying to get his member to come back, right? So there's all these funny things that happen and the chairman loved it. He was cracking up. I will say his name. His name is Gary Johnson. So Gary loved it. And I was always writing stories he would do a thing where you write stories and you don't put your name on it. And then he hands it to somebody else in the room. You read another person's story and you're trying to figure, everybody's trying to figure out who wrote the story. And after a while you're able to figure out who wrote what I would challenge myself to write things that people wouldn't know it's me. Cause I started off the first three stories or so, you know, it was action packed and, crazy stuff going on. So they were like, okay, that, now they figured out the note, uh, the thing with me. So I would write different stuff so they wouldn't know it's me. I wrote this story about a young girl after that, a young girl on the train with her grandmother. And it's a great trip. She learns more about her grandmother and their love, their bond grows stronger. And he was upset. He said, uh, so people couldn't guess who it was who wrote it until it got down to it was just one other student in the class and they said and my nickname was Quiz so uh, that was my rap name and, and so everybody called me Quiz at, at Columbia they allow you that you can be called by your nickname if you want so the pre the, uh, yeah the president of the college everybody called me Quiz so anyway they said Quiz wrote this they couldn't you know believe it I was proud because I said okay I can step outside of just writing the wild crazy stuff and write other stuff, you know. But he had me stay behind. And he said, hey, this was well written, but this isn't you. This isn't real. I said, what do you mean? He said, this isn't real. He said, this isn't your life. I mean, write about what you experienced, you know, violence and rapes. Women getting raped under the train, but do it creatively. And I said, what? I said, I don't know nothing about women being raped under the train. He said, come on, man. Come on, man. you black. And I was livid. So I brought it up in another class and other students. Now, he's the chairman of the writing department. I dealt with him at some point. Other students, I said, hey, man, I, he, he said this to me and this is this. And so I started gathering people and people started bringing people to me, getting their stories about his racism and the things you ha we had to, certain things that he considered the black experience, which were all negative. At that point, I wrote, rose students up against them. We're boycotting his classes. 
you know, things of that nature. And it, it got really bad, like hundreds of students it ended up on the news. Uh, they came to us and said, well, what we're going to do is you'll be okay, but we're going to fail everybody else with you. Now, me being young, I didn't realize the tactic in that, but I knew I didn't want that to happen. So they said, oh, you can still stay at the school, but we're not going to kick you out of anything. But you either give up your scholarship, uh, you write a letter, and, you know, say you were wrong, and, but you're, you're unremorseful. They wanted me to write that I, I was wrong but wasn't sorry for what I did, so then they could you know, take my scholarship from me, right? I went that route because I thought that, you know, if I didn't, then they would all these hundreds of people, uh, many who were seniors, and they wouldn't graduate. They could not, they would have been sued so badly. But I, I you know, I was young. I started college when I was 17. So when, I, when I did this, I was 18, 19 years old. I think I was 19. So I fell for it, went for it. And without a scholarship, my family, we could, we could have pulled something out off for, for Howard. But at Columbia, it was so expensive. Now I couldn't continue to be there. I was 20 because that was my senior year. So I said, God, you know, I'm going to have to leave myself. In my senior year, I got to let this go. And then I, I, I eventually, from work I did after that in the military, and I, I eventually ended up having enough hours to graduate. But, yeah, I left Columbia eight hours away from graduation, from being able to graduate because of, of that. But, yeah, so Howard, running from what I knew was going to jam me up, ran to Columbia and lost my scholarship because of inciting the riot uh, due to racism. That's yeah. always been kind of my my thing, yeah. One of my daughters, she went to West Lane, and the black students, they locked themselves in with the librarian, forced her into it, but they, they locked themselves into the library for days. I think it was by, actually about two weeks protesting racism. Her mother flipped. I was all for it because if you're going to stand for something, I'm with you. And, and really, when I protested at Columbia, my, my family was with me. They were scared for me, but they were with me. You know, that meant more to me than the scholarship and, and everything else, to be honest. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Question number six. If you could create a new holiday, what would it commemorate? Milton Davis and I did create a holiday called Black Secular Fiction Month. We did that years ago. We decided we're going to create a Black Secular Fiction Month. And then we went to the assistant director at the Auburn Avenue Research Library, this library for research for information uh, of the diaspora and Africa. We went to the assistant director at that library through a series of events and everything, and that has taken hold at first nationwide, but now worldwide. So people around the world do stuff for Black Speculative Fiction Month now, which is in October. Now, I would do a Charles Saunders Day and probably 
we probably are going to do a Charles Sanders Day as part of Black Speculative Fiction Month. We'll probably do something for his birthday uh, or something like that, too. Charles Sanders is actually the father and founder of Sword and Soul. And he recently transitioned, recently passed, which was devastating for me. Uh, Val John Jeffers, Milton Davis, uh, many, you know, many other people were devastated by his loss because he's a big influence on us. So he was a friend, a longtime inspiration. So I would do his holiday. And, I, and when I was writing, back in the days when I was playing Dungeons and Dragons as a youth, I read, I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons since 1979. In 87, I read Dragon Magazine number 122, and somebody had written Out of Africa and how to use African creatures for your Dungeons and Dragons game. A man named Charles Saunders. I said, this Charles Saunders guy, you know, he got it right. This white guy, he got it right. It laughed about that sense. I didn't know Charles was black. I didn't know other people, definitely not on that level, were writing African fantasy. When I discovered years later he was black, that just made it even greater. Had I known as a teen, I probably would have written a sword and soul novel much earlier. Teens or, or, or early 20s. And his transition led me to working on the role-playing game I'm working on now, which is called Omiran. Omiran means giant in Yoruba. And in Omiran, it's set in Kikanga before the angry god Darala struck the earth with his axe and creating the cleave and creating certain newer monsters that we deal with in Kikanga, the role-playing game, and that you see in the Kikanga anthology. This game is pre-cleave Kikanga. So there are these, the Ramanga are, um, they're immortals, but they stay immortal by exchanging their withered organs for the organs of young children. So they have these skull men who are their servants who go out and capture children for them to use their organs. When the people started fighting back, this scientist, he creates Omiran, which is a, what you would call mecha nowadays. But of course, it's not made of, of steel, it's made of wood. And his daughter ends up being the, the bonded with it. She's the pilot of Omiran. And after Omiran, then other Ikarahun, which is the, the Mecca, other Ikarahun are created. So Omiran is the first Ikarahun. After that, others are created, and Omiran that's in humanoid, that was ever in humanoid form. The rest are different animal forms. So in that game, you know, you, you, the pilots of those Ikarahun, if, if you're the pirate, uh, a pilot of a, a, a gorilla Ikarahun, then when you're not in the Ikarahun, you, you can do things to get the abilities of a gorilla. Or if you're in a rat Ikarahun, you can, when you're not in it, you can do things to get the abilities of a rat. Things like that. So that's what that game is about. That's what I'm working on. I had already written it as a script. It was uh, in a contest with Universal Studios for animation, but that just got put on hold because of COVID-19. So I'm doing the game. I'm, I'm writing the game now. The novel, I'll finish after the game. 
and I, I, I really hadn't thought to do it until Charles is passing. And that has inspired me to uh, do that, uh, to, to write some deeper sort and soul. Wow. Um, wow. I'm having nerd. I, I'm just, I'm just having a nerdgasm over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. Oh. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. It was great. And thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. And don't forget to make sure that you leave a review, leave a five-star review, and put a couple words in it. That helps the algorithms, algorithms, all the rhythms to help us get seen. So thank you for that. Appreciate you. And next week, right before Halloween, I have speculative fiction writer and a guy who just might kill me. James Goodridge. So until next time, see you. Hear it, speak it, live.